I'm obviously screaming and yelling and and banging, you know, my my fist against the wall. Like I'm I'm angry, like I'm confused, I'm at a loss, right? And the kids all pretty much just realized what was happening, went immediately back into their rooms. Mackenzie was the first one that I saw came out of her room and what she had done is gone straight to her room and she went straight to the Bible, which first of all, the wisdom of that, you know, at at that time out of a a 12-year-old, right, goes straight to the Bible. She came out and you want to talk about context, like I don't don't care about the context of the scripture, (laughs) I care about the context of of my life at that point when uh, she came out and said, Dad... God spares the righteous from evil. Immediately, I had peace. A peace that carried me through two years of my life. It still does. That was Greg Crum, and this is Guild Stories. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story, and it's the stories that connect us all. I'm Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content, husband of Brooke, and father of five young people. And I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, who happens to be my wife as well. Hey, guys, I'm Brooke, owner of Reclaim the Home, Justin's wife and mother of five. We're so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we'll explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers. We're going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. All right, so I think the best way to intro today's guest is to um, just tell a story, naturally, um, which included 90 minutes, I think, or so, maybe two hours at Westside Local having lunch um, with three dudes that were just bawling their eyes out and crying, <laughs> me being one of the three. So um, we'll, we'll get into all the specifics and the credentials, man. But Greg Crum, CEO of Data Scribe Solutions. Is that your actual title or owner? Or what do you go by? Oh, whatever you want to call me, man. <laughs> I go by any of them. Uh, head of company, owner, uh, whatever. Nice. Well, dude, we're, we're super excited and thankful to have you on the show. Your um, your story is, is, is fascinating, man, and I'm, I'm eager to hear it again. Um, and, and more importantly, I'm eager for our listeners to have the privilege of hearing, hearing your story, man. So thanks for joining us. I appreciate it, man. Honored to be here, really. Yeah, no, it's good to have you. So uh, before we get into the, to the, the tear-jerking stuff, which, the is, which is coming, yeah, the deep end, as you called it, I, I think you maybe even said at lunch, you were like, uh, you looked at our, our mutual friend Trevor, and you are like, is it time to go deep? Or so you said something. Like <laughs> yeah, you kind of yeah. qualify. You kind of set me up. I was like, "What's he talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> and then you went deep. You went right into the deep end. Um, so before that, like, give us a just kind of set the table for us. Give us the context. Your company, who you are. I mean, you know, big broad brushstroke. Um, absolutely. To try to bring us into your world real quick, if you can. Yeah, absolutely. So from Sioux City, Iowa, uh, went into the digital advertising space. Uh, worked in the agency side for a while. Uh, was on a mission, I guess, to solve a data-related problem. Mm. And that led me to a company called Datascribe, Inc. Uh, purchased that in 2015, and mm. uh, we kind of solved that problem and sold uh, two of our business units in late 2018 and pivoted into doing uh, outsourced bookkeeping for small businesses here in Kansas City. Uh, so that's the business side. Uh, you know, not to you know, do a, too much of a precursor to the deep end, but, um, married four kids, 
uh, three here on earth with me and, and one in heaven. Uh, beautiful wife, Emily, that's been my rock through it all. Uh, and just loving life, man. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so Sioux City, Iowa to KC, there's probably lots of stops along that journey. What what yeah. what was the rough kind of arc of that narrative? I mean, for most people that grow up in Sioux City, you can't wait to get out. Uh, <laughs> when your town is known as Sewer City as you drive up I-29 and the, the old stockyards, uh, you know, the wind blowing up uh, off the river, uh, blowing that stockyard smell. Uh, you can't wait to get out of there as a, a Sioux City high school student. So I actually always dreamed of being in a big city, mm-hmm. and uh, I love sports. And, you know, it was, it was a dream of mine to be able to go to uh, football games yeah. uh, that, you know, wasn't arena league. Uh, I think it's the Sioux City Barnstormers. Um, Why wouldn't it be? You know, <laughs> right. it's, it's a, a little more enjoyable to watch Patrick Mahomes uh, win a Super Bowl <laughs> uh, than your your old high school buddy that, you know, finally made it to the Barnstormers at 38. Um, so went to went to school down in Springfield, Missouri, Evangel University. It's a small private Christian school. Yeah. And met my wife there. We, we did about six months in Blue Springs uh, here in Kansas City and then did a, about two years in Milwaukee. Huh. Uh, Why Milwaukee? A uh, job took me there. Okay. So okay. <laughs> there's a crazy story there if you want to hear oh, it. Dude, we got <laughs> nothing but time, man. Uh, Guild stories. That's what we're doing. So we got, my wife and I got married. Uh, it's kind of a love at first sight type deal. Uh, and we were in in Blue Springs while she was pregnant with my, my daughter, Mackenzie, uh, who's now 14. Mm. And uh, she, pr- about... It's about a week before McKinsey was born, uh, I was working at a Yellow Pages uh, service bureau is what it was called. So basically the job was to try to sell Yellow Pages advertising on behalf of Yellow Pages agencies. So okay. we're, we're outsourced effectively and hated the, the actual work that I was doing, mm-hmm. but fell in love with the industry because it was all about mm-hmm. Uh, doing advertising and driving business uh, to small businesses. Mm. And I'd, I'd always kind of been passionate about small business. My my uncle owned a pizza shop in Sioux City that, mm. you know, killed every other uh, big chain that came in. And so I, I'd always had kind of a, a love Respect. for small yeah, businesses. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I enjoyed that side of it, uh, but just did not enjoy what I was doing. There was a 800-pound gorilla in the space, the, the Google of Yellow Pages advertising, uh, if there could be such a thing called TMP directional marketing. And I'll never forget, uh, it was Thanksgiving of 2005, uh, sitting with my parents and telling them, man, I, I love this space. Uh, I hate what I'm doing. Huh. Uh, but, man, if, if there were a job out there at TMP, like that's the company I want to go work for. Hmm. And if, if it was like doing market research and, you know, helping put together sales presentations to communicate the value of advertising to small businesses. I would love that. And my mom's like, well, have you, have you looked? Uh, so I got online and they happened to, I went to Monster at that time. Oh, yeah. Having no idea that TMP actually founded Monster. Uh, so got on Monster, find out TMP has a job opening in Overland Park, Kansas. Oh. I'm living in Blue Springs for a marketing analyst position and go through and read the job description. And it's, you know, verbatim what I just described to my parents. So I apply for this thing. Your parents are in Sioux City? Yeah, they're Still, in Sioux okay, City. Got yeah. it. 
So I apply for this gig. I go have an uh, interview. Guy Dan Austin, never forget him. Uh, great, great guy. And we hit it off right out the gate. And he gave me a project. He said, hey, words are great, but you got to prove it. So he gave me this really complicated project. But I wanted the job bad, so I poured my heart and soul into it. Uh, I spent about 50 hours uh, just putting together this presentation. Mm. Uh, sent it off to him, feeling really good about it, and then, you know, then it's like the you're waiting, you're the guy with the crush on the girl waiting for the call, Please and it never comes. <laughs> uh, so that was a that was a Wednesday, uh, Friday, to get back to the matter at hand. Friday, my daughter's born, and she's uh, she's early and uh, goes straight into intensive care. Mm. Um, so she was preemie and had was having fluid build up in her lungs. Uh, so obviously not thinking anything about the job, right? Um, go through the weekend, you know, now my wife, uh, she was also in intensive care, uh, just dealing with the complications of the pregnancy. Uh, go home and check on the dog and get through the weekend. Uh, and I'm, I'm at the house checking on the dog when I get my phone rings on Monday morning. And it's Dan letting me know, hey, man, Good news, you got the job. Uh, congrats. Bad news, you got to move to Milwaukee if you want it. We need your decision in 24 hours. Uh. And here I am, like, relatively recent, you know, coming out of school and thinking, all right, big corporate world, like, they don't care about your personal life whatsoever. So they're not going to care that I have a kid that Brand is new sitting kid. in yeah, the right. NICU. They're not going to care that I got a wife sitting in intensive care. Uh, so I didn't tell him any of that, uh, and went back to the hospital and, you know, talked to my wife who, uh, was drugged up at the time. Like, Hey, so I got the gig, uh, but it's in Milwaukee. And she's like, let's go, let's do it. Like you want this, you've wanted this for a long time. No reservation, no hesitation, Mm. uh, to this day says it had nothing to do with the drug. She was just ready for you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, she, she believed in me, and, and she always has. So uh, we took that ride, man, and went to Milwaukee and Dang. Uh, had, had a lot of fun. Uh, had a lot of fun being there, uh, but got, got us back to Kansas City after two years. That's great. And so, so did you ever end up kind of telling Dan, hey, here's the story around um, the oh, NICU? Yeah. P- like, okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, so it was funny. They, they actually changed the position. I was supposed to report to Dan uh, and then ended up reporting him. Gal's name's Monica Ho, and she's just an absolute phenom in the marketing mm. space. So now mm. she's like CMO of some, uh, you know, major organization. Learned so much from her. Uh, so I, yeah, I told both Dan and Monica, and they're like, "Dude, how did you not <laughs> right. tell us this?" I was like, "I didn't think you'd care at all." And they're like, "Come on, man! Like, it's real. that's a big deal, yeah. and you made that decision in 24 hours, like." She was more mad at Dan than anything because Dan ended up going the biz dev route and sales route. And, you know, he had always, he was always telling her like, Hey, we, we didn't want this fish off the hook. You know, they, they wanted me bad. He's like, so I applied the pressure because Monica gave me a week to make the decision is what she communicated to Dan. Like give him a week. Dan wanted to close the deal. So he only gave me 24 hours, (laughs) not knowing any of the backstory of what, what I was going through at that time. So uh, yeah, we had some good laughs over that. That's crazy. So what did those early kind of career 
you know, the ladder climbing years, so to speak. I mean, what would, um, what defined that period of your life? I mean, you, you moved a little bit, you probably jumped, jumped gigs. Like, I'm curious how, what, what did your, your life look like as you did that in terms of life, lifestyle, um, value, there wasn't life. Yeah. What do you mean? Uh, it was all work. Mm. So, you know, the best way to describe it is I was running my own race. Mm. And I had set out with a goal, uh, which, you know, I think that's the, one of the strengths I have is you put a goal in front of me. Uh, individually, I'm going to hit it. If it's an individual goal, uh, I'm going to hit it. And, you know, I had a goal of rising to the top mm. as quickly as I could. Uh and, you know, unfortunately, when you're running your own race, you don't necessarily, uh, you don't necessarily see the people around you. And so that time for me was a time that from an individual accomplishment standpoint, uh, you might look at and say that was, that was a successful period in my life. Uh, from that, from my standpoint, it is the most hated part of my life. Uh, you know, I, I don't spend time and regret. I spend time reflecting, uh, because regrets full of shame and guilt and, you know, nothing good comes out of that. But I'd reflect on that time in my life, uh, more than anything. Cause I was, you know, I, I did great from a work standpoint. Right. Uh, and had a lot of accomplishments. Uh, but it's not a time that I'm really proud of. Mm. Um, I've proved to myself what I'm capable of, but I, I already knew that. Mm. Um, and the, the wake of, uh, I guess, the, the debris that comes along with not focusing on what's important in life, uh, it, that's certainly more costly. Uh, you know, it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, a, it's honestly, it's kind of a sad time for me to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no other way of describing it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I've got my own debris, right? Like, as I, as I did the same drill and 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 maybe that's the only way like maybe you have to create the debris in order to be able to reflect on what was broken but as i as i survey my past too it's like dude at what cost did those things come right at at what cost did the promotion and the new thing and the job and the whatever um debris is the right word like that left a trail not, not one that i'm like super proud of yeah. Um, but in the moment, you're going, this feels right. This feels normal. This feels successful, right. <laughs> even. Um, and, and, and I think, I don't know, man, maybe it's a kind of middle-aged thing or once once that system has to, maybe it has to break yeah. in order to, f- to realize that there's, there's a different depth or different. Um, I, I think you're right. I mean, it's, uh, I was often called a workaholic, right? Mm. And By that was a... Uh, I mean, anybody that knew me, mm. right? My parents, uh, uh, you know, my friends, and it was a, it was a title that I wore with pride. Like, yeah, oh yeah, I am. Yeah, I am a workaholic. <laughs> I, I get stuff done. Yeah, uh, you need something. I doesn't matter. I'll stay up yeah. all night, three nights in a row. Like we, we, we're gonna get this thing. And yeah, you, I'll be the guy in your corner. Whatever you need, I got it. Mm. Uh, everything else, I'll push that aside. Uh, and it was, it was almost a badge of honor, but it is an addiction, right? So to your point, like sometimes you got to hit bottom, you got to hit rock bottom with an addiction to come out and learn, uh, 
and, and rise up from it, right? Uh, you know, and I think that's that's kind of what happened with me, right? I didn't have some horrible uh, crash that hit me. It was just one day, uh, you know, being exposed to a different way, uh, a different mindset. That that was kind of the, the slap across the face, um, letting me realize that, hey, life has a hell of a lot more to offer than work. Uh, and, you know, it, we're we work to live, uh, not, not the other way around. And, you know, that you do have to hit sometimes that bottom, uh, to really rise up and learn from it. Man. And, and I, I'm like anxious, like I can't <laughs> wait to get into, um, into, into some of that, that we're going to, but to continue quickly, um, the work stuff kind of, comp- like you, there were, many steps kind of before, um, you, to use your language, the bottom. Uh, and specifically, and I don't know your story nearly as well as you do. I've only heard it once. Um, but if I remember, there were people kind of along your journey that started to maybe plant some seeds that made you start to, even if you weren't wrestling with it yet, like you, the, the seeds had begun to get planted around yeah. um, purpose and time and intention and community. And some of these things... Yeah. That, some of these aspects of value that like as your as your you know kind of this individual accomplishment pursuit which again guilty like definitely rode that train too um as that thing starts to like the fruit tastes a little bit more bitter um there are people in your in your path that were starting to kind of yeah. pull at your shirt strings a little bit going, absolutely hey man like what there's some other stuff going on here yeah um, what, what was that like? And that, and you were like buying a business at that time. Like there are all sorts of kind of things unfolding, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, people have been planted in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think regardless of your, your beliefs, right. I think intentionally by design, a, a design far greater than mine. Right. And you know, it going through that period, I, it all started with a signature line in an email. Uh, and you know, a good friend of mine, Scott Wesley, who the only reason I ever got exposed to Scott, uh, was because I bought a business. Right. And the, the path of getting to business ownership is even crazier. Um, Mm -hmm. but then, you know, being exposed to you specifically, you're saying, Oh yeah. Okay. What Uh, was that? Like in a nutshell, like, what was that? Okay. So digital marketing guy. Yeah. And, you know, started off yellow pages, get into digital marketing, uh, rising that ladder, getting notoriety. Uh, I stumble on this thing, the inaccuracies of local listings online. Mm. And so I I start taking huge interest in solving that problem. Right. I wanted to run my race. Uh, so I wanted to solve that problem and, you know, said I was, I was doing all the media recommendations and, and strategically leading a team and all that stuff. But in kind of as my side project was, I'm going to solve the, the listing inaccuracies online. This and is in like 20, this would be like 2000 and well, I mean, it really was about a six year journey, but okay. Okay. Uh, you'd say like 2011 okay. to 2014 really aggressively. Okay. Um, you know, and, and getting in and, and studying, okay, where does, where does local listing data come from? And I just kept chasing that, chasing that, chasing that, uh, and getting really in with a lot of the industry experts and a lot of the data aggregators that are collecting this information, you know, going and mm. going to their site to see 
how they're gathering this information. Um, anyway, I'm, I, long story short, find, find the solution. I figure out the source awesome. and the origin of these listing inaccuracies. And it ends up being the white pages of all things. So digital guy, have a background in the yellow pages. Yellow, right. Now I'm getting exposed to the white pages and how local listing data is curated. And so I uh, call up one of the data aggregators that collects this information, uh, get one of the guys at the top of, of that company and, you know, say, hey, man, let's let's put something together. Let's proactively address this. Like, let's change the world, right? And let's make sure every business listing is accurate. And he's like, dude, I hate to tell you, but in order to correct that, you need to know every telco in the nation. Mm-hmm. You need to know how to submit this thing called a 3235, this three-page printed form. Uh, and you need to know where to submit it, which is different for every directory in the nation. Sounds terrible. Yeah, no, that I mean, for a digital guy that's like, hey, I'd rather work in databases and like automate things. Yeah, no, that doesn't sound great. So then uh, pick up the phone and call Michelle Markham, who happenstance uh, acquaintance of mine, right, uh, that I met through another story. Uh, Call her up and was like, hey, uh, I know you got a background in this, this area, but just crazy question. Do you happen to know anybody? that knows every telco in the nation, knows anything about this thing called a 3235 and knows where to submit them. It's like, yeah, look out your window. So she, she knew my office. She's like, look out your window. You see the Bronx there, Metcalf and 103rd. Go back a little bit. There's a little company there called Data Scribe Inc. And what they do is submit 3235s to every telco in the nation. Uh, and they know where to route them. And they built an application that automates it. It's like, what? Huh? Are you serious right now? She's like, you want to know something better? The seller or the owner uh, wants to sell. So he's up there in age. He's ready to retire. You've always wanted to own your own business. Wow. You want me to set up an introduction? Yeah. Yes, yeah, please. Let's, let's go ahead and do that. How about so, tomorrow? <laughs> so that, uh, that's, that's what, that, I didn't yeah, know that. just crazy, uh, crazy story how that all shook out. Um, so getting back to Scott Wesley, I buy, I buy data scribe. I worked there for a year. Uh, Tom Aber was the owner. We got to know each other, felt comfortable, sold it to me and met Scott Wesley solely because I was a business owner. Really? Uh, he, who's Scott for those that don't know. So Scott Wesley, he was a financial advisor for Mariner. Okay. Okay. He's now the owner of canvas, uh, wealth advisors. Okay. He, but he founded Arrived Outdoors. I'm not a hunter, but it's basically an adventure and hunting uh, club. Mm. Uh, that's not what drew me in. What drew me in is it's a network of like-minded individuals. So it's not your typical business networking. B&I group or whatever. Right, yeah. like yeah, you yeah. can't solicit business in this thing. Uh, if you happen to do business by happenstance, awesome. But it is all about establishing real, true relationships. Uh, so he, he got to know me because he was, he was actually just getting this off the ground. I ended up being outside of the ownership group, ended up being member three, Mm. uh, of arrived outdoors. And, uh, so he, that's how we were introduced to one another. And at the bottom of his email signature, uh, is a quote, and I'm sorry, I never remember the, the gal that, uh, said it, but it's rich people have money, wealthy people have time. 
And so getting back to your, there were these little things all along the way that, that led me to realize that I've been running my own race and focusing on, on the wrong things. That was the very first, uh, like, just smacked me across the face like a dead fish uh, realization that, dude, you're off. Like, you, you've been running your own race too long, uh, and you're off. And after I read that, I just started being uh, more open and leaning in, I guess, to uh, messages that were and opportunities that were coming in front of me, uh, far more open and vulnerable to relationships in life, uh, and just kind of really leaned into that. Uh, and just I didn't worry about why it was happening. Uh, I'm more focused on the who uh, and, you know, didn't, didn't care about the why just kept leaning into it. And the more I leaned into relationships and the more I leaned into people and the more I was exposed uh, to really what life's all about, uh, the, the happier and more fulfilled I got. And then it, then it became, you know, work was the drug. This became a totally new drug where it's like, dude, I want, I want everybody. Like, <laughs> do you guys see this? Do you guys see what life can be like uh, when, you, when you let people in? Uh, it's literally life-changing. You should try it out, um, you know, and, and kind of just kept leaning into that, really. Before that took place, were there was your life um, through your wife or your kids or, or through other relationships, was, was it validating that um, disconnection? In other words, were there, were there friction points or were there places that you could kind of look at and be like, yeah, man, like I'm, I'm running my own race and – I'm starting to, it's starting to break down. Yeah. Like, are there ways that, that you were feeling that other, I mean, the email signatures real, like, I, I just think sometimes we're in such denial that we don't even know what's happening. Right. Yeah. Like we're just going and, and maybe it takes some, some tripping along the way to be able to, whether I, I, again, I don't know the answer. Like, is, was there relational conflict or was there any kind of, um, well, I think it, I, there was there was no relation. Huh. Right. Um, so I grew up, my, my dad's a pastor and was, was a pastor. And, uh, you know, I grew up in the church with this, this very social uh, environment, right? We, we had people over to our house all the time. Uh, I was a really social kid, always had friends around. <clears throat> now, don't get me wrong. I, was, I started working at 13, right? So it started way back then. But I, I was the guy that I had money to go spend and do things with my friends and you know one of the things I always said was I never want money to hold anybody back from fun and so if I if I had friends that you know couldn't couldn't Mm -hmm. eat at a restaurant with us or you know couldn't go to that minor league football game the barn or whatever right uh (laughs) let's go like I don't you I don't care don't let money hold you back from having a good time and so some of that was like I was I had this drive uh to to have the funds available to do social things as well as to give back right growing up in the church it was i I, a lot of my drive was hey i want to i want to give back i want to give back i want to give back um so that was kind of the purpose behind you know the the money starting at 13 was hey do good things with this stuff Mm -hmm. right it's not you're not worshiping the money like you're not doing it for the money the money is a means to an end to have relationships so that's going back mm-hmm. to my young young days, right? That's that's where it all started. Well, somewhere along the way, lost sight of that, 
and it, it became more about the gratification from the work. And it still wasn't about the money. It was never really about the money to me. Um, but it was more about proving to myself what I was capable of doing. And so relationships started to fade away. Uh, relationships with, you know, relationship with my wife, mm-hmm. relationship with my kids. Uh, at that point, you had two kids, three kids? Uh, three, three kids at that okay. point, yeah. Okay. And, you know, I, we, had our, we had Mandy, our fourth, uh, Basically, After you bought Data Scribe? Uh, right before, so about a year before okay, I went it. to Data Scribe, two years before I bought okay. it. Okay. Um, at any rate, it, you know, it, those relationships just kind of fell to the wayside. And, you know, I, I, it was never like this. I woke up one day and like, oh man, you don't, you don't like have any true friendships, right? But it, that's just what happened. Uh, I had tons of acquaintances I had a lot of respected connections. I had people that I would call and discuss and brainstorm on work-related stuff, but I didn't have any true relationships or friendships, which because I was so focused on work, which is like a total contradiction of how things started. Um, Dude, me too. I know that feeling. Yeah, (laughs) it it was a, a tough realization for sure. Yeah, it's a sobering. When you look around, you're like, ah, there's lots of people, but like I'm not known, right? And 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 at least for me, even a step further was like, I've created this system to not be known. Yeah, I've created this environment where I can appear successful, right? And 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 in in many cases, successful in quotes, right? Um, was that and and that you surveyed the landscape of my life. And it's like, yeah, but you're not known. Right. And, and, and you've, I've built these walls of self-protection to not be that. Yeah. Um, and so I'm curious, I mean, maybe it was Scott Wesley's quote is maybe this arrived outdoors piece. Like that started to become real for you. Yeah. Um, and that transformation was evident and you even said it, it became your new drug. Um, but so what fundamentally kind of began to change when you started to become known? Uh, time, right? So I, it all comes down to one simple word Mm -hmm. and it's time and it's the balance of that time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going on that, on that quote and leaning into that, right. And to a degree, like looking how, how Scott spent his time, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he was, he was, uh, a model for having fun still is, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and seeing that like, man, this, this guy's like, He's living life. He's doing really cool stuff, and he's got a lot of uh, friends, right? And I, I want I want to lean into that, so I, I kind of leaned into it, and you know, went on started by signing up for a, a bear hunt, which again, not a hunter, <laughs> never done it in my life. Uh, got thrown up in a a stand. The guy drives off in a four wheeler, and I got a bow and an arrow in Canada with no cell service. Uh, you know, bears, bears coming in. So, uh, you know, maybe not the best decision to lean into that. I I did. I got two. I got two. But you know, that I, those were the types of things that I, I didn't go for the hunting. Mm -hmm. I went because there were, I I don't know, eight other guys Mm -hmm. that were business owners uh, that I wanted to build relationships with. Mm -hmm. Uh, That led to 
joining a group called Acumen. And Acumen is a group of intentionally 12, 12 people uh, and a mentor, right? Uh, so taken from Jesus and the disciples. Okay. And it's like, a, it's like a vestige with a faith-based mm. twist to it. And so I leaned into that, right? Well, in that, I got exposed to uh, emotional intelligence and being more self-aware uh, as well as a, a book called Scaling Up by Vern Harnish. And, you know, I leaned into that. So I started becoming far more emotionally aware and sensitive. Uh, and then simultaneously I'm getting, because of all that, I've got, uh, you know, I've purchased DataScribe now and getting to know two employees that, you know, thankfully I inherited from the, the former owner, uh, Lynn and Eileen, who are like my lifeline as far as, uh, professional is concerned, right? Mm -hmm. And really what they did is, and because of e everything that, you know, transpired during this time, they broke down the walls of personal versus professional for mm -hmm. me. And, you know, as us growing really together, uh, because we, we were totally transforming the business, not from what we did, but culturally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I made them a part of it. And because of who they are, and all the, uh, I guess, the courage that they had to go through that. I mean, here's people that are, you know, two, two phenomenal women that have worked at DataScribe longer than I'd been in the professional world. And, you know, I come in and I buy this thing and like, they just, they're just there to support me, mm -hmm. right? And they have the courage to tell me how to do things when I need but it, not a not from a work standpoint. They got the courage to stand up and say, "Dude, like you need to get out of here. Mm. You need to go spend time with your your family." Mm. Um, and you know, here here are the things that are important in life. Like the work, the work's the work. Yeah, we got to do that. Uh, but here are the things that that really really matter. Um, and because I had been more in tune emotionally and more aware, like. I could accept that. Mm -hmm. Whereas if that had been six, seven years prior, you would have like, stiff armed it. Oh, I would have totally stiff armed it and said, you guys obviously don't have enough passion. You don't get this thing. You're not bought like, in. Yeah. You're not workaholics. Uh, so I'm going to go find addicts that are like me and that will enable my addiction. Uh, but because everything had been, you know, again, a design greater than mine had kind of prepped me for that moment to be surrounded with people like them that could continue to, you know, beat me over the head. Like, Hey dude, time, time, time is what you need to focus on right now. And, and we're, man, we're like, we're right on the edge of jumping in the deep end and I can't wait. Um, even though I know it's incredibly painful. If I remember one of those women told you specifically, cause you kind of surveyed and you're like, pardon the language, like, why the hell does anybody work here before you bought it? Because yeah. like, this is kind of lame and the culture is lame. No knock on any previous people, right? Like I, that that's that's maybe a bigger projection than no, you're, it needs you're to spot be. spot on. But but if I remember, one of the women was like, yeah, the work's the work. Like I, I do this because I have the flexibility yeah. the, to, to live my life and to have have time. Yeah. And like that, it felt like that resonated in a huge way for, for your life and knowing, not knowing what you're about to, you know, have yeah. to face head on. No, absolutely. I mean, I think in a, a society like we're, we're so focused on, and especially the, you know, generational gaps, right. Mm -hmm. And you, you hear all this disdain for 
uh, millennials and uh, there's there's all the there's huge cultural movement mm-hmm. from an HR standpoint to you know and all these crazy buzzwords and figure out how to get the engagement up and um, you know it, it's just become like this Put ping pong tables and yeah exactly yeah, right. like right. you you just need to find ways to make work fun and uh, you know all this stuff and yeah the the culture here was dude I I came from digital marketing agencies, right? Uh, or at least the digital departments of marketing right. agencies. And so I was always looking to figure out how to attract young, you know, quote unquote, sexy talent, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, not not from the yeah, disrespectable yeah, yeah. female yeah. sense, but like uh, young, fiery, yeah. passionate yeah. talent. And yeah, it was all about, well, you. it was a trick. It was a game, right? You were taught this. Like, it's just a marketing game, dude. Like you paint just, the walls, cool colors, have a beer, have yeah. beers on tap. If and, you yeah. make it feel like work <laughs> is fun, then people will stay at work. And that does work for a time. Sure. Does. And then people start to have kids and then people start to have relationships and then people start to care about things more than, yeah, being able to play pool at lunch. And then all of a sudden you lose them. Like they're not engaged anymore because what you're selling no longer fits with them. So great. You did awesome at maintaining talent for like two, three or four years when they were 22 to 26. Awesome. Cool. When they became super valuable and like educated and experienced and strategic and like, then they're gone because you gave them no greater purpose to fulfill. And your what you were asking did not align with what they needed. Right. And yeah. So when, you know, uh, it was Eileen, uh, on my team, uh, that, that said that to me when, yeah, I, I had a conversation, I grabbed her. We, we couldn't have meetings. So, uh, anytime I want to talk to anybody, this was under the former ownership. Anytime I want to talk to somebody, I had to like, you know, try to get them <laughs> to come outside, you know, like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to the restroom, wink, wink. Uh, because otherwise the, it just gives you like a sense yeah. of the culture. Otherwise there was this paranoia that people were like, Oh man, it's you know, trying to undermine the, yeah, the, right. the owner and stuff. So, um, anyway, I remember being outside and with Eileen and saying like, Hey, like I'm, I'm in, I'm not going anywhere, but yeah. Why like you do this? You've been here for, at this time it was 14 years, 14 years. Uh, why, what is it? And yeah, it was, it was a simple response from her. Uh, that was flexibility. I can come in early and I can get home and get my kids off the bus. And that, that's the most important thing in the world to me. And, you know, I've always been able to do that. And to me, nothing else matters. Like I'll come in, I'll do my job. Uh, you know, and at that point it was, it was just a full-on data entry gig, right? Um, you know, Eileen, Eileen, it was unfortunate because gal's like a wealth of talent and strengths. Uh, but in that, you know, in that day, uh, her job was to do data entry, right? And opinions, uh, sharing her mind, speaking her mind, you know, leading. Like, no, those weren't options. Mm-hmm. Uh, do your job. Do what you're asked to do. Uh, and be here from this time to this time, right? Um, and be she a, did it. Be a cog in the machine. Yeah. Right. right. And she did it. She did it well, incredibly well. But it wasn't because she loved it. Mm. It wasn't because 
she got to play ping pong at lunch. Uh, it was because it gave her flexibility to be there for her kids to get off the bus. And it was like, what? Mm. We've got millions, if not billions of dollars being spent uh, understanding human behavior and how to retain talent. And it comes down to one word, flexibility, uh, which then to me, you know, translated into time. Uh, give people time, empower them with time, uh, and they're they're going to do some incredible things. Yeah, man. No, it's it's so true. I'm even thinking about our own team going, yeah, like this in side conversation, different podcast, but this whole coronavirus stuff, it's like, no, we're well positioned. Like, that's what we do. We work from wherever all the time. Yeah. And we work whenever. Like, sometimes we're working at nine at night. Sometimes we're working at noon. Like, the the ability to craft your life around your work as opposed to you know jamming work into every corner and crevice of your of your life um i i think is a is a huge thing so dude i i've um i'm like ready I'm, i want you to take us to the deep you, you end you want to dive oh yeah if, if uh if we can um get the box of tissues ready i'd love for you to, <laughs> to take us there man i don't know yeah. how, i don't know how i don't know any other way to ask it than just to ask it yeah well, I think, I mean, because life I, changed in a big way. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think having, having some, to me, I'm a technical communicator, uh, you know, so context is critical. 100%. And so I appreciate you. Mm -hmm. I mean, the context through just the line of questioning, uh, you know, I think really helps understand the story further. So I appreciate that. Uh, so if, if you can, you know, take, put yourself in that position where, you know, my team is, is going on a journey and we're not just reinventing a company. Uh, really, my team is reinventing me, mm. right, as a person uh, and as a leader. And I had the business side and, you know, they, they didn't need to focus on that. Uh, they needed to focus on supporting me and reinventing me as a person. Mm. Um, and, you know, wow. uh, again, all of the other people around me uh were doing the same thing and again no point in questioning why i just focused on the who and, and the relationships during those times uh that i was being prepared is what it comes down to um you know so you look at a life where i was all about work with no relationships really no true meaningful friendships what that meant was my family and my kids also weren't getting exposed to people, right? Um, they, they, we had a great little family unit because my wife held it together. Mm -hmm. She was a glue. Uh, so they had good lives, but, like, they weren't exposed uh, to the world then uh, because we, we weren't doing, you know, get-togethers and gatherings and parties. Um, you well, know, There so probably wasn't any time for that. There was no time for you're, it. Because you're jamming work into every hole and yeah and she's holding it down yeah with whatever remnants and scraps can. you have to leftovers you have to offer that's exactly no, right. no, no shame in that i did the same dance but it's like yeah. hey dad's home dad's kind of home that's right. physically here dad's not really emotionally right like right that, no, at least that was not my present story. right not present right. right and and i was i was rarely present um you know i might have physically been present but emotionally i was not present and you know, so then going through this transformation, 
um, getting deeper and deeper into relationships. And, you know, now I, I end up, you know, it seemed like it happened overnight, but over this two, three year period ended up with, you know, more best friends mm-hmm. than I've ever had. Um, deep, true, deep, honest, true friendships. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, on the business side, I, I leaned into like bringing in emotional intelligence uh, into our business and, uh, you know, putting together a mission statement that by the textbook is totally off. And I don't care uh, because it's 100% something I believe in. Uh, you know, our, our purpose is enable others to live life to the fullest. Uh, our two fundamental values became life, work balance, and that's big life, small work, because uh, we always prioritize life mm-hmm. over work and community impact. And those were two things that if you go back to when I was young, the reason I worked was so that I could enjoy a life big with life. other people yeah. and give back. Mm. And so I got back to those roots. And fortunately, I had two people on my team at the time that felt and believed the same thing. Mm. Uh, so we, we brought that in. Uh, you know, as I started, like, even with some of my my friends at that point talking from a business standpoint, like, Hey man, here's what we're doing. I'm so right. It's that drug yeah, that I wanted to yeah. expose everybody to like, dude, that, that sounds awesome. And like Good really luck. idealistic, <laughs> it ain't going to work. And like, well, I, I believe in it. So I think it can work. And I don't really like, to me, this is the only way to do it. So that's what I'm going to do. And, uh, you know, we, we ended up building that, building that business, we ended up behaving that way, right? They weren't just words. They became living and breathing things. Uh, and I had a team that breathed life into those words. Um, you know, so long story short, life has changed, right? Um, I'm now surrounded with friendships. I'm now spending more time with my family than I ever have. Uh, I was focusing on my physical health, you know, taking care of myself, uh, lost a ton of weight, Um, and you know, just everything's going great. Mm. Um, then February 21st, 2018 happened and my daughter, Mandy, we woke up, um, that morning and my, my daughter, Mandy had passed away Mm. in her sleep. Um, didn't have any health conditions and to this day uh basically through process of elimination uh you know they've just said it was it was probably heart failure um she was how old she was almost five Mm. and you gotta understand because i had started to spend more time like she was she was my baby girl right and we had become like i was closer with her than anybody else uh, any of our other kids at, at that age, right? I got to spend more time with her. And um, so we had this, this is really deep friendship and relationship, right? Um, and at a moment's notice, gone. Mm-hmm. Um, what transpired after that, and you know, this is the <laughs> reflection part, um, was the, the most incredible response that I've ever seen uh, in a situation like this. And, you know, I'll never forget that 
I learned more from Mandy than I ever could have taught her. Uh, in that four-year period, you know, I, I wear a bracelet on my, my wrist that was the, you know, the greatest lesson she taught me. Uh, and I, I wear it as a constant reminder, just play for Mandy Kay. Uh, that was the, the number one lesson I learned from her uh, was to set time aside for play. Uh, then the, the number two lesson I learned from her was to invite people into your world. She always wanted people around. And, you know, we, we thankfully, because I had started to branch out and lean into relationships, we thankfully had that. So literally hundreds of people got exposed to Mandy that had I not been given time or made time, would have never met her. Uh, you know, and I got, I got time to develop because I focused on that play. I got time to develop deep friendships, real substantial friendships. Friends that I could call and gather them on my deck with the strength uh, and courage to say, you know, a couple days after Manny had passed, um, I've got a vision. I can't execute it. And the vision is really inspired by Mandy and what I think she would like her celebration to look like. And I need you guys. Who are those guys? Who are uh, those people? They, they were friendships that we had made, you know, basically over the, over the previous, uh, you know, at that point, four years. Um, so mostly friends of our our kids parents right mm -hmm. it, the friends that when I used to go to you know my my daughter's softball games like never <laughs> spent any time wanting to engage or build a relationship with them uh, because they had nothing to deliver me mm -hmm. from a professional standpoint so what's the Don't point need you yeah those those people mm -hmm. those people that I decided to invest in and decided to say yes yeah let's let's go to let's go grab a bite after uh, after the game, uh, instead of firing up my laptop, um, that basically a compilation of mm. relationships that otherwise would have been bygones, um, had I not started focusing on and leaning into that, um, and been reminded to do so right at every, every turn, it seemed, um, and what, you know, I, I laid out a picture, uh, I tried my best on my deck and you know there's about 20 people there to to paint this picture and it was doing a horrible job just because i could hardly talk how could you man yeah. and what they took and ran with i mean we had we had an affair that was it was it was like a freaking prom man uh everybody was dressed to the nines uh colorful bright cheery like it was it was way beyond what I ever imagined, and I know, you know, as I said, like, they, they did the impossible. I said it that night. They did the impossible and pulled off an affair that would have exceeded Mandy's expectations, which is something I was never able to do, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they did it, and they did it in a way that was so tasteful and so inspiring um, and so meaningful to us. The, the room was set up for 400 people, which – when I walked in, I think, guys, this is 
Like I haven't been to a funeral really where there's been more than 250. And that was, that was a big funeral. Right. Uh, and I know this is a celebration and not a funeral, but like you guys, like, I don't, there might, might've gone a little too big here. Uh, and then it started and every, every seat was full. People were literally in the hallway outside the, the banquet center. And this, this is a not even five-year-old girl mm. who touched more lives than a lot of us ever will in a lifetime, right? Um, and will continue to do so. Her legacy will live on. Um, had that happened five years prior, it would have been my family. Mm. Uh, you know, had had I not realized what was truly important in life, we wouldn't have had that support group. And then after that, we had we had meals, hand you know, homemade meals delivered to us for four months, dropped on our doorstep every night. Uh, four months uh, that we got to sit down and not worry about groceries, not worry about cooking, but sit down as a family and spend time together. And there was times of laughter. There was more times of crying. Of course. Times of, you know, looking at slideshows and reflecting and remembering and being inspired by. Um, but ultimately, it was, it was time to heal. And we were afforded that because people we never even met cared enough, really, uh, about somebody they didn't know, but just heard, heard the story and invested their time and their energy, their money to help us heal. Um, you know, and that, those were some of the most impactful moments that we had was, you know, it, it sounds simple, but like giving a home cooked meal to somebody that is dealing with loss is, is one of the most incredible things you can do for them to heal because it, it, it's community. You're, you're giving them a reason to get around a table and look each other in the eye and remove all distractions from the world and be present with one another. Uh, and those were some of the most meaningful times that we had. I've, I've got like this clenched jaw, man, because I'm, I'm um, I just, I can't even imagine um, what you guys have gone through. And, and uh, to experience kind of the, the pain and the sadness and the, the unfair heartbreak, right? Um, and, and yet also you've got this kind of vibration of, of hope and purpose and intention, you know? Um, and, and, and I, I don't, I don't, um, ask this for kind of my own, um, I know this is a hard story for you to tell, but you, you, you told me something at that lunch about Mackenzie's your oldest, right? Yeah. The f freaky smart one. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I had to laugh, man. Cause I'm uh, literal genius. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, which we can talk about that too, but, but, um, if you would, would you say, would you kind of put us in the, in the house that morning um, and kind of what, what her profound, otherworldly, divine kind of yeah. response was? Because that, 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 that anchored me in a way that, um, 
you know, felt so, uh, I don't know, man. Yeah. In the midst of unthinkable pain that, that she had the, well, it's your story. Well, if you tell it, that'd be great. (laughs) While Uh, I wipe my eyes over here, bro. (laughs) Yeah. So that, uh, that morning, um, you know, is a, uh, it's like an, well beyond a nightmare, right? And, uh, you know, I I don't want to be uh, too graphic with it. Yeah, of course. But if you can try to imagine, you know, waking up and finding that, uh, the, you know, one of your kids has passed and, um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously screaming and yelling uh, and, and banging, you know, my, my fist against the wall and, I'm, I'm angry, like, I'm confused, I'm, uh, you know, hope I'm still asleep, like, I'm at a loss, right, and, you know, the, the kids all pretty much just, you know, kind of came out, realized what was happening, uh, went immediately back into their rooms, and um, it was... You know, McKenzie was the first one that I saw came out of her room, and what she had done is gone straight to her room, and she went straight to the Bible, uh, which, first of all, the wisdom of that, you know, at, at that time out of a, a 12-year-old, right, um, goes straight to the Bible. And she came out, and she, she, you know, you want to talk about context, like I don't, I don't care about the context of the scripture. <laughs> I care about the context of, of my life at that point when uh, she came out and said, Dad, God spares the righteous from evil. Sorry. Immediately, I had peace. Uh, a piece that carried me through to be the be the strength that I need to be as a father, as a husband. That scripture carried me for the next two years of my life. It still does. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know why. Uh, we had to lose Mandy so early. But that scripture you know, kept me grounded in the sense that something something worse was, was coming. Mm-hmm. And as much as selfishly I would I would love my you know Mandy to be here. Uh, there was some greater pain. So, you know, some greater pain was coming. And God spared her of that. Um, and, you know, that's what I've always held on to. And I've been asked before uh, whether I'm, I'm angry. And I've, now don't, I'm not arrogant enough to think I'm through it, right? Because grief 
everybody deals with it in their own time. But I never got angry. Um, I never got angry. And, you know, I think a lot of it was because of the, the wisdom of my daughter, uh, you know, going straight to, straight to the word and, and bringing that to my attention. Um, I don't know why I never will. I don't know what, but I do know who was there. I know who was around me at the time. And I know that because I had those people around me, uh, I didn't regret my, my choices while Mandy was here because I spent a lot of time with her, more time than I ever thought I could have with one of my kids. Uh, and she got to be exposed to so many people uh, and inspire so many people that otherwise would have never gotten to know her. So I, I don't really care about the why, the why of the past. Uh, I care about the who. I care about who, who I had around me and who I spent time with. And, you know, I care that I got to, I got to know that girl and Mm. she, she got to teach me. She, she taught me exactly what I needed to be taught at that, at that moment in my life. She's taught me too, man. Um, the, the other memory that I have uh, that feels worth talking about here is you, you have you had this and again man I'm I, I can't um, imagine the the conversations you've had to have and the the times you guys have what, whatever it's looked like gone into a room or seen the chair dinner at the dinner table or, or all the, the grief and the sadness but um, you have this perspective that that just was clear as day the way you even I don't use this word lightly but kind of um packaged her life and through her lens of like hey think about it from Mandy's perspective right like yeah. um you you made a comment uh that you said it more profoundly than I did or than I can remember it but you you essentially said hey we've got the benefit of age and time and that that benefit right now is not helpful, yeah. but but from Mandy's lens, like talk about the a full life. I mean, back to your kind of big life, small work yeah. comment. Like, dude, talk about a big life. Mandy's yeah. life was big. Yeah, I mean, again, context, right? Context matters, and to a f- nearly five year old, uh, the only context they have is that five years. And they only remember, you know, two or three of them. And so when you when you look at Mandy's life and um, look at it from her perspective, uh, you know, we're we're obviously saddened because we know how long life can be, and you know, we we're fortunate enough to be here still today. Uh, and so we we have that context that she didn't have. So if, if you take age out of it uh, and look at it from the standpoint of Mandy was surrounded with people that loved her every day, not just her family, everybody around her wanted Mandy. Like 
you know, all of McKinsey's friends, right? Uh, we jokingly say like Mandy for her birthday wanted to take all of McKinsey's friends to Cancun. <laughs> um, and like in her head, again, context like in her head, that's totally cool. Right, we why can, wouldn't we do that? We can take all of my older sister's friends to Cancun for my, you know, <laughs> fifth birthday as we were planning it. Um, you know, that, that was, that's her world, right? Like everybody wants to be with me. Everybody loves me. Um, she, she saw the world. We had not taken really any family vacations and, you know, Emily was, she was always like, Hey, be nice to do that. Right. But not in a, it was like, I know everything's crazy right now and you're working, working really hard. But like, on and, yeah, this is something important to me. And, you know, we had, we had started that tradition of, of taking family vacations and uh, had some phenomenal ones. And, you know, Mandy got, got to see the world. Uh, so you're surrounded by people that love you uh, and everybody wants you around and anything you need, you get it. Uh, you, you've gotten to see the world and you, you know, went to sleep one night and you passed away peacefully in the night. Uh, you take age out of it. Anybody that you could, that had that type of life lived a full life. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pain and heartache that was obvious, you know, she didn't go through just because of the, the time. Um, but like from her standpoint, her context, her perspective, like she, she doesn't know any better. So I don't, I don't have, I, I want her here today. Of course. I would have loved, as everybody, you know, every parent wants their kid to live forever and never wants to outlive. But from her, like, it does bring me some comfort that the life she lived from her perspective was full. Uh, it leaves us wanting and it leaves us hurting. But for her, it was full. And as a parent, you know, as a dad, that I can... I can be proud of that. Like she had a good life. Um, it was just a little shorter than normal. It's amazing. I, um, I made this connection and maybe <laughs> you've probably made this a thousand times before I did, but um, it's interesting how you described your, your business values being kind of, you said this intentionally, but I didn't really catch it. But life-work balance, everybody, if you read Forbes magazines or um, entrepreneur.com, right, it talks about work-life balance. Work's always first. I'm sure you said that intentionally to say life-work balance. Yeah. Um, and then your second one was community support. And the other story I remember vividly was Mandy lived. Mandy was probably a big instrument in helping you even clarify your business values and this kind of Eileen's comment about this segregation or separation between your personal and professional life a a as we all mature and grow and go through this bumpy ass journey of life. Um, that's an integrate, a, a healthy whole person integrates all areas of their life. There's no right. distinction or compartmentalize or whatever. Um, so I'm, I'm getting to the point here is, is Mandy's life also exhibited the community support piece 
and, and the story, I'm sure there are a thousand stories, but the story I remember you telling is what happened after her celebration service with, with her legacy giving back to the community. It's like, yeah. holy crap, man. Like what a, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I've I'll first talked to the, the integration piece. Um, you know, when I was going through this journey, uh, I was under the impression that I had my own like family mission and personal mission. Right. And then I would have my work mission and my work purpose and values. And the two were separate. That's how you, like, you compartmentalize life. That's that's how it's done, right? That's how it should be. Um, and I remember going through, you know, writing mission statement after mission statement after mission statement, like never feeling it, uh, and going through values and on on the work side. And then you know, being excited about that process and how uh, insightful it was wanting to do it personally and, you know, do it, do it with Emily and do it as a family. Like, hey, let's come up with a, a family mission and family values. And then leaned into a relationship, right? Got exposed to this guy, Sean Poloniak. Phenomenal dude. Um, and he, he's a got a creative marketing background and uh he had been hired actually by arrived outdoors as a brand consultant that's Mm -hmm. how i met him and i was i was so intrigued just by who he was uh that i asked i was like hey man can we get together and kind of go through i'm working on uh kind of reinventing and data scribe and reestablishing our foundation um so anyway, long story short, we get together and I, I'm talking through as we're getting to know one another, talking through this this separate approach of, you know, having my personal mission and then my business mission. He goes, dude, a, a brand is an extension of you. Wow. Like as the owner of the business, the brand is an extension of you. There is no separation. Like tear that wall down, man. Uh, and by the way, like you talk so much about Lynn and Eileen, yet you're sitting here trying to craft these statements without your team. What's wrong with you? Mm. Mm. Bring the two worlds together. And when I did that is when everything became so simple. Yeah, man. It's like, well, but they're not, you know, <clears throat> what if they don't see it the same way I do? And he's like, well, what if they do? Like, mm. think about that. Think about if you guys align on a purpose and you align on foundational values, think about how powerful that's going to be. So I, you know, became vulnerable and opened up to Lynn and Eileen and, you know, said, Hey, I, I want to own a business to introduce life work balance to as many people as possible and to have an exponential community impact it's not really about like money. Uh, like I don't really know what that means. Cause we're not a non profit. It's in the hobby. Um, right. You know, it might mean like you guys might, you might make less because we give back more. Uh, you guys cool with that? Like, <laughs> yeah. You mean like we can come into work, have a life, big life, a big life and be able to do the things that we love to do. But, also have purpose 
yeah, yeah, no, we're we're good with that. Um, and that that's kind of how it all all started. And you know, from then on, there was no, you know, separation. Uh, and you know, even to the point that like Mackenzie, you mentioned mentioned her, like she now is part of Data Scribe and like works, uh, you know, works on a daily basis after school, like. I, the whole, my whole family has been more exposed to kind of the, what we call the data scribe way. Right. And cause it's not the data scribe way. Uh, you know, to me, it's the right way. Uh, it's certainly not the easy way. Uh, but it, you know, it's the crumb way. It's the data scribe way. It's the right way. It's, it, it's, it's all the same thing. Um, there's no separation. And yeah, to, to talk to, you know, kind of what that, ends up looking like uh is and and mandy was you know the a big inspiration behind that um and the the letting people into your world and then being able to give back to your world um was a big part of who mandy was and at her celebration you know we we again tried to think through all right what, how would Mandy want this to go from a, like, memorial standpoint? Um, you know, she, who was she? Like, we, we were good. So we didn't, as a family, thankfully, we didn't need support from a monetary standpoint. And Mandy was never really big on, on that anyway, right? Uh, she was about playing and having fun, uh, but she hadn't hit yet the materialistic part of you know uh, of society uh she hadn't she hadn't gotten that context yet um as long as she had a phone to take a selfie she was good <laughs> uh and some some makeup available right that's right um so we we looked at that and said okay well flowers uh you know that that's not that's not for her because they they die and wither they're gone uh and you know money no we're good like so we, we don't really want donations. So uh, we, kn- we know that Mandy loved to play. Uh, and we know that she loved interacting with people and bringing them in. So what, what would she want? And, you know, it was pretty, pretty obvious to us that uh, she would be thrilled if she were able to give toys to anybody and everybody that wanted them. And, um, you know, be able to, the, the memories that come along with play, uh, you know, whether it's a card game or a Barbie or like she would want to be able to share toys with as many people as she could and, you know, would want us to encourage uh, others to play and parents, you know, to bring down their guard and sit down and, you know, pretend to be that car racing uh, or pretend to be Ken going on a date with Barbie. Like that's the type of things that those are timeless. Those are, right. those are things that, uh, will, will stick with a child and stick with a parent forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we put that out there like, Hey, uh, you know, instead of donations or flowers, like maybe bring a stuffed animal. Um, not having any idea what that would mean what that would mean um so the at the celebration of life um you know i i don't know all the logistics behind it 
because like like I said, everybody just stepped up and took care of everything. But when we got done and everybody leaves, and you know it's just kind of our close friends and family around. Um, you know, one of my buddies grabs and he's like, "Wait till you, wait till you see what Mandy inspired." And uh, walked outside, and somebody had to run and get moving boxes. Um, at some point during all this, uh, floor to ceiling boxes uh, full of toys lined the hallway. Um, I don't even remember how they all they all ended up back <laughs> at our house, and I don't even remember how they got there. What I do remember is we got back to our house, and there were more in our garage. Um, that had been brought at some point and then continued to be mailed to us from all over. Um, I had no idea how many actual toys were there, but what I do know is we, we delivered them to children's mercy downtown, uh, on her birthday, which was March 17th. So St. Patrick's day. Um, and it filled up an entire, I mean, like, full-size box truck um, that when we called Children's Mercy to prepare uh, to bring it, we're like, hey, we, we got some toys to donate, <laughs> a few toys to donate. And, you know, the the poor gal that it was a volunteer was like, okay, yeah, I'll, cool. I'll be here. Like, and so we go to a park, and, uh, you know, I pull up right up front, uh, in this in this box truck, and, like, security comes out, and you're like, hey, you can't park here, blah, blah. And I kind of explained the deal and like, hey, well, you got to park in the garage. I was like, dude, there's, I mean, this whole thing is full of, full of toys. Like, what do you mean? So we open it up. He's like, oh, <laughs> different. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you, you can, you can park here. That's cool. And the gal comes out and looks, and I think she expected like, you know, two or three boxes. Um, like you're donating something to Goodwill. Like, and like, she, back in the yeah, truck. exactly. Right. Like she was obviously very grateful and, appreciative but you could also see this sense of like uh crap uh we have like no room for this stuff um so it, it was it's a it's a cool uh cool picture we got of you know our, our friends all dressed up in uh you know saint patrick's day gear awesome. uh and you know we we carried all the boxes in and you know it just stacked them floor to ceiling in this you know what what is the volunteer office at this place a large room but uh you know it was a <laughs> it's a box truck full of toys um, so yeah i mean that was that was spot on right and you know exactly what uh mandy would have wanted uh, to know there's some you know somewhere out there there's i mean literally thousands of kids got toys so um, awesome. from that it was an incredible outpouring of support for sure and just a great way to honor mandy man it's just remarkable dude um it's remarkable uh you've been i, I could do this literally all day because i think <laughs> your story is fascinating um but it but so we'll have you back on because i want to talk about kayaking and your 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 340 mile race or whatever you did um and, and there's a million stories that that i want to hear but but if you could help us um understand the impact i mean obviously the personal impact has been tremendous and and has come at great cost um but mandy has helped you not necessarily 
change the vision of data scribe but but uh, um our, our mutual friend trevor who's who's uh who connected us and who who's on your team he and i were were chatting without knowing any of this depth or any of the deep end stuff and he was talking to me about some of our own struggles at guild content running a small business growing a team figuring out cash flow all the stuff we're going through and he was like yeah man like dude, you got to get out of that stuff. You got to get your, get your time back and free your time up. And, and he, he related to my pain and he was empathetic about my experience that had nothing to do with like the stuff you sell. Right. Right. And sure. You sell a product, you have to make money. It's not a hobby. Same for us. Right. Um, but, but it, it, it seemed, and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth here. Um, but it seems like the, the experience that you've had, personally again there's no walls so it also has impacted your professional life has has kind of catapulted you into this mission of missions maybe a loaded weird word but like this intentional kind of purposeful journey to help knuckleheads like me get their time back so that yep. they can go be with their version of mandy whatever that looks like exactly um so help 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 us kind of round round third here and head for home sure yeah, I mean, like you said, we had already started that yeah. uh, transformation, and you know, thankfully we did uh, in time. And so we we had already established, you know, as data scribe, we'd established our new our new purpose, uh, which, as I mentioned, it's enable others to live life to the fullest. And we'd already reset our foundation, and culturally, we had already transformed, and you know, started giving back. Um, so that was already something I was really that had become, like I said, my new drug, right? Hey, do you guys like mm. other business owners out there? Do you see what, what this is like? This is amazing. You should try this. And, you know, our, our skill, uh, our talent, you know, happened to, uh, and all of our experience happened to align well with providing uh, bookkeeping support, um, you know, leveraging technology, better, faster, cheaper is kind of the, the motto there or was the motto um, so that we could give business owners time back, right? Um, let, let us focus on kind of the, the back office behind the scenes. Let us take care of that so that you can continue to focus on doing the things that you love. And it wasn't just about freeing up a business owner's time uh, so that they could run their business more efficiently and spend more. It was, it was more than that. It was about, Hey, give them time. So that's, that's the, like mm. the means to an end, right? Give them time. And I'm not, uh, you know, arrogant enough to say that if you do all these things, right. you know, it's like this perfect formula. Uh, and I, I can't lay that out for you or anybody, mm. but what I can guarantee is that when you give people the gift of time, it, some it might take years and some it might take weeks and some it might take months. But if you give people the gift of time, they do extraordinary things. And it looks different for everybody. So I already had that desire, right? And I had seen how that, that gift of time impacted me. Uh, after losing Mandy and going through that, it all it really did was inspire me more and it it obviously that that message uh resonated 
uh, far, far greater uh, to me personally. And, you know, it's not, I, I say this all the time, like, when we came up with that, that purpose and those values, it wasn't like this marketing ploy, right? It was real. It was who, you know, the founders of Data Scribe effectively, who we were. Uh, and it wasn't some gimmicky game. Like, it was already raw and real. And it was, it was our, all of our, you know, personal and professional mission. Um, going through the loss of Mandy was, was more like the proof, the proof of why having time is so important. Uh, it was it was more the like the proof of the work, right? Um, you know, piece I didn't touch on was when I needed time as a business owner more than I'll ever need time because we had spent, you know, we had found time for ourselves as a business. Uh, we did it by maximizing our strengths and totally reinventing our culture. We found loads of time. Yeah, man. We went from five, uh, you know, had a process that took five bodies and now took half a body. And we didn't let anybody go. You redeployed them. We redeployed them and found more time, right? And because we had the time to focus on maximizing each other's strengths and I, I had the time as a leader to teach and empower and train, when I needed time the most, I could take it. I had a team that literally overnight stepped in and we took over it. took over a business. You know, keep in mind, Eileen, right? I spoke about her earlier. She was doing nothing but data entry, right? She didn't mm. she didn't have the outlet or the opportunity, the avenue to have a voice. Mm. Uh, you know, just three years prior. It's crazy. It's crazy. And and Lynn, uh, you know, Lynn was was never part of of leadership discussions in the, you know, former data scribe. Like uh, you know, she was even less outspoken than Eileen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here she is, she I mean, she's running the financial back office of the company. Of a, a bookkeeping company, like <laughs> that does the <laughs> back office of other book, you know, other companies. Um, I, and I, I was completely disengaged to the point that if, if I tried to, Hey, how's things going? You know, just what every business owner does, like get out of here. We're good. We got this. Um, you know, so it, it all was, it was all done by a design greater than mine. Right. Um, and you know, that that's who knows what's going to happen. I mean, you look at like this COVID-19 outbreak, we, you know, loosely mentioned that. And I know everybody's tired of hearing about it, but like. That's real. Dude, man. Yeah. We were prepared for a business owner to completely step out. So you want to throw a freaking, you know, outbreak at us? Like, cool. We're good. Um, we're, we're prepared. Well, why? Because we had time to focus and maximize our strengths and focus on what matters um, that 
and we never lose sight of that purpose. It, it, those, those words that to a lot of businesses, unfortunately, the purpose, the values, like their words on a piece of paper. That's right. To us, he lived them. They are living and breathing things that guide our everyday decisions uh, and make it possible to get through literally anything. It's brilliant, man. It's uh, 1037 in the morning. <laughs> and no, but it's interesting. You you say that about COVID and, and, it, and it does tie into like, with exception, clearly this is a big general, generality. I have never in the history of like, adulthood seeing as many families walking around in the neighborhood as many even just now there's families and friends like we're on technical like shelter at home and there are Mm -hmm. more people socially distant but together and you strip all this work stuff away and the money and and man like I've got fear of money loss like I right like there are all sorts of real things that that this thing has unearthed in us and, and and potential crazy devastation that that could happen from a economic perspective and a social different topic. Right. But like you strip all that stuff out, people are together. Yeah. People are playing cards with their kids at the table. People are working from home and figuring it out. Like it, 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 it just has amplified this. Um, when all that stuff gets ripped away, man, it's like we yeah, have each I, other. <laughs> That's enough. I had a, uh, I was, it's funny, all this has uh, reminded me of a conversation I had. It was one of my best friends in college, and he was going through some hard times, both financially, you know, his, his parents were looking at uh, getting a divorce, and um, he was going to have to drop out of school, and, um, you know, just having a hard time, and honestly was, uh, you know, I could tell was, he was trying to decide whether life was worth living, right? And I remember having a conversation with him and, and saying, you know, this is we're 20 years old and in college and never knew how impactful this conversation was going to be for me throughout the rest of my life. Uh, but I looked at him and said, look, man, what's the worst thing that could happen right now? And he said, well, I'm going to have to drop out of school. It's like, yeah, where are you going to go? Well, you know, I I probably have to move back home. Okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? He said, well, I mean, I'd be living at home, like, instead of at school. Right, who would you live with? Uh, I'd probably go back and forth between my mom and my dad. Okay, Do do you have a good relationship with them? Yeah. Okay, so what's the worst thing that could happen? I mean, I'd have to get a job at at some point. Okay, what's the worst job you could get? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Like, I guess I'd have to go back to you know what I was doing in in high school and work at the pizza place. What's the worst thing that could happen? Do you have Do you have friends that work at that? Yeah, I mean, some of my best friends are at that workplace or at that pizza place. Okay, so what's the worst thing that could happen? I don't, dude, what are you trying to get to? He said, every time something got worse for you, you had people there, people around you that cared about you, and you, right. you had people to rely on. And those words were really easy for me to say, you know, as a, as a college student where everything was going really well. Um, 
you know, and, and playing football and have parents to, to pay for my school and like really easy to say. Uh, but as life transpired for me, the worst happened, you know, for a parent, the worst happened. And looking back, you know, as I was going through that, I didn't remember that conversation with him, but that got tested with me, right? Sure did. The worst happened. And, but every step of the way I had people, uh, people around me, people to support me that people that I otherwise wouldn't have had if I didn't learn that lesson on time. Dude, the mic is attached, but you just dropped it. <laughs> like it's just a beautiful ending. Um, and we're going to do this again, dude, but we close every show kind of knee jerk, quick response, five questions. Okay. All right. So whatever comes to mind, um, what's the last book that you read? Or listen to uh, the effective executive by Peter Drucker. Okay. Uh, yeah, hi- highly encourage that. Uh, so, dude wrote this book in 1966. You think about what we've gone through from a business standpoint, oh, everything, and especially from an executive. This guy's talking about emotional intelligence. He doesn't use that word, but uh, talking about maximizing people's strengths. Like in 1966, he wrote this book, and it, I mean, it is truly timeless. Um, and it, it's all about uh, the general premise behind it is uh, figuring out how you as an executive can contribute the most. Mm. Um, so it has undertones of like servant leadership to it. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great book. I love it. I love it. Um, what would you do right now if you weren't afraid? <laughs> I mean, again, you faced your deepest fear, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, something I've all, I, I, something I've always wanted to do is, is right. And, um, you know, I, I shy away from it a lot. Um, probably because out of that fear, uh, of, you know, not, not knowing whether the message will resonate or, or connect or, uh, whether I'll, I'll be able to, uh, put it into, you know, truly actionable words. Um, but, it's probably be like go to a cabin for yeah. you know a year and just write hunt and bears whatever. and write right exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> well dude I, I mean uh, I, I'm a I'm a hack writer myself and y- your story um, yeah your story needs to be told and it has been told so I would love if you wrote <laughs> I would read it I would read every word what's your favorite T-shirt oh oh that because okay. everybody has one yeah uh, several. My favorite is so last uh, last St. Patrick's Day, I took my family to Ireland uh, f- so that we could celebrate Mandy's birthday uh, uh, in Ireland and do do St. Patty's Day the way the, the Irish do it. And uh, Emily had us all T-shirts made uh, with a, a logo created that just say "Celebrating Mandy." Oh. Um, and I mean, it's it, first of all, it's one of the most comfortable T-shirts I have, but obviously it's it's uh meaningful to me and every time i wear it i just i remembered you know honoring mandy and the, you know the birthday cake we made oh, when we were there and just the time we got together as a as a family the time huh interesting theme yeah. <laughs> um what's your favorite place on earth oh that's easy man okaboji iowa 
<laughs> so uh, of all places, it's a uh, it's a little lake town, uh, northwest Iowa, right on the Minnesota border. Uh, it's you know it's just nostalgic. So uh, thirty six years old, I've missed one Fourth of July there my entire life. Is why I was doing an internship in Tulsa and. Uh, first of all, I was crying because I was missing it. I actually hopped in my car at midnight on July 3rd and started the drive to go there. Uh, but then after like logically doing all the, the math, like, work. I'm not going to be able to make it back in time and probably not a good idea to be driving from Tulsa to, you know, Northwest Iowa, uh, and starting at midnight. So uh, that was the one I missed, but it's, if, if you've never been like, if you like little Americana, yo, absolutely, yeah. man, Sounds like it's it. a. It's an amazing place. That's great. All right, man, last one. Um, and, and everybody else is still drying their eyes with their tissues. But when it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, that, I mean, that comes back to the purpose of Data Scribe. And, uh, you know, I just I want to be an enabler of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I can't, can't force anybody to do anything with that time. Um, but I would hope that uh, I have... I have given people time uh, and given time for them to, to figure out who they are and who they want to be. I wrote down here, if you give, you said this, and you've probably said it a lot, but if you give people the gift of time, they will do extraordinary things. Yeah, no doubt. Put man. that on a comfy t-shirt. Man. That's <laughs> money. Um, where can people follow along, man? Like where can, where can folks hear more about your company, about you, about the book you're going to start writing? <laughs> Uh, so not a, not a popular answer for a a digital marketing guy, but Hey, I'm all about connecting in person, uh, social distancing or, or not. Um, you know, so first of all, I'm going to tell you we're at, uh, 75th and I 35 and welcome to come anytime. Look us up 7,700 Wed street. Uh, I, I love sitting down and talking in person. We got a fire pit out back. Like, uh, you know, that, that first and foremost, I love, in-person conversations. Um, and I'm on, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, and you know, you, you can find me there, but uh, I'll tell you, I'm awful at responding via text. Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm much better like in person. So, uh, let's figure out how to meet in person, shoot over an invite on, uh, and you know, I'll, I'll accept it, but (laughs) responding to texts and stuff like that. I'm, I'm not, I'm not so great at it. <laughs> I love it, man. Uh, well, it, to, to kind of bring it home here, man, you've, you've given us the gift of your time and, and, and you've kind of power packed, um, a lot into this man. And, and I think our, our folks are, I mean, for me selfishly to, to get this much of your time is, is a huge gift. So thank you. Um, but I, I think I speak on behalf of every year drum that's listened to this conversation and uh the world's a better place because of this dialogue with you man so i'm thankful appreciate that it's a better place because i got mandy in my life so (laughs) that's right i I appreciate the opportunity to share that story and uh you know for everybody listening to it thank you for listening to it and and learning about mandy along the way yeah no she's uh clearly touching and continues to touch some some lives in meaningful ways man there's no question about it so um, we're doing this again. So thanks for coming on and, and giving us uh, your gifts, my friend. Absolutely. Look forward to it. All right, brother.